Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. On the 310 to you That's where I saw my love The girl with the golden hair Not a word between us Hello and welcome to the Sun Cinema Podcast A weekly radio show that examines the highs and lows of the medium of film Through the filtered lens of Washington D.C.'s only art house cinema Sun Cinema. I'm your host, Jason Cauley, and I'm joined by my co-host, as always, David Cabrera and Ryan Hunter-Mitchell. Gentlemen. Hi, Jason. Morning, Jason. Morning. Morning. I don't know. Ryan. Is it morning? It's yeah, noon. Technically, we just exited. Right. It is afternoon. All yep. right. So, we got a lot For to cover today. Listening. Yeah, we got a lot to cover today. Um, but let's start with uh, you, Dave, and how was, how was the past weekend, past week at Sun's? Um, this week was good. It was fun. Uh, we showed some cool stuff. Last week, we Tuesday, we did the first part of the um, Apu trilogy, the Satyajit Ray. Yeah. Um, Ryan and I talked about this recently. I didn't know the uh, hot take from uh, Oh, yeah. This is Truffaut great. Truffaut like, <clears throat> walked out of it during con and said he didn't want to see peasants eating with their hands. Oh, my God. So, Which is interesting <laughs> because people, comp- you know... The 400 Blows is kind of considered the quintessential like coming-of-age movie, mm-hmm. right? And this was actually before that, right? Pather Vanchali? Is it, it before? I think so. Was, very close, if not. Yeah. It may have been, what, 58? But then been? anyways, so then Godard gave him some shit for that, apparently. Oh, yeah. no. No, and, it was earlier. It was 55. Yeah, it was 55. <laughs> yeah. Oh, buzz off. Yeah. Oh, what a geek. Yeah. <laughs> But so, Godard, like... I think Godard just... Well, he always laid into <laughs> Truffaut, I of think. Of course. Yeah. Uh, anyways. With reason this time, though. <laughs> yeah, probably this time with reason. Shockingly, Godard took a more left view of... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, angst? Oh, oh yeah. my God, yeah. Insane. Noah Gaspar said he saw that film more than 40 times. And I yeah. don't know how you could see that film more than 40 well, times. It's, yeah. Unless and I know Noah why Gaspar. he makes the movies he makes. Yeah, exactly. yeah. No, it's 100%. Like, you can see all the influence right there. It's a... That's a heady film, man. It's a... Yeah, it was a lot. It's pretty grotesque, but stylistically very... <sighs> I mean... Very cool. Yeah. And sti- then even kind of... It's funny because it, it like sort of waffles between just being like too over the top, like mm-hmm. violent to like, then he'll just do something that you're like the main character. Where you're uh-huh. like, that's kind of funny. Like, yeah. Kind of yeah. Like, well, or you just have to laugh because you're like, oh. well, just to break the tension. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise it's just a slog. I he mean, dri- yeah. he drives away from the house after doing the mayhem, yeah. the mayhem. And, uh, it, there's just like a car in the middle of the road. Or like uh-huh. not even right. in the middle of the road, and he just slams into it. He doesn't know what else to do. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, yeah, he couldn't have just gone around. Or it is like, like crazy. Very, this whole crazy scene. Yeah, in the Gaspar no 
you know, way of looking at it. It's like super experiential. Like you're really in his head. All this stuff's happening. People are screaming. He's like clumsily tying up his family members. And it's really visceral. It's but you're only listening to the dialogue of him in his head yeah. talking about his childhood. Right. And it is like this, you know, he's kind of, and I think to the car thing at the end and all that, I mean, like it all plays into like just this insatiable you know, drive that this guy, mm-hmm. like nothing is going to be enough. You know, nothing's going to like quench this yeah. desire yeah. to like destroy. Uh, it's just not going to happen. And he's like, he's not methodically trying to like destroy everything. He's like trying to like insert himself in it. I right. mean, he's like trying to have as much as just in how clumsy all of the things are. I think it adds to it because it makes it feel like he's really trying to get this like physical yeah, no, I attack. I think that's what makes it, if <laughs> it does work, that's kind of what makes it work is that it's not like what he's doing is not reflective of what he wants. It's yeah. just the result of just being crazy. Yeah. You know? So see angst, watch angst, watch with your family. Yeah. Watch yeah. It, it's yeah. good. Good. I children's mean, it's, shot, it's shot super well. And the, the whole unique thing about it mainly is like that it's shot from the perspective of a killer. Right. Yeah. You right. know, there's all these, Shots where it almost looks like there's like a camera attached like two mm-hmm. feet away from his face, yeah, where exactly. it's just kind of following him walking around clumsily. He said, um, and then the music is super cool. Uh, then we showed Police Story, which is very similar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a cool, uh, cool crowd for that. Cool crowd for that. Good Jackie Chan movie. We sort of talked about Jackie Chan last week. Yeah, which you have, you don't know that yet. You don't know that because well, you'll know it. You'll yeah. Uh, Alexia just put it up. I think. Back to the Future Two. Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's the verdict? You now that you've watched both. So I now I understand. In my mind, I was like, I remember Back to the Future Two being cool because it, as a kid, you're like, oh, this is the future, and that's it has hoverboards. cool. It's got hoverboards. Your clothes dry. Yeah, uh, but it sucks. I I wish that is. I had watched it recently so that I could have gotten into it with jen about how back to the future 2 sucks (laughs) it's just so convoluted and like so drawn out or the other one like it everything makes sense and it moves Uh and it's interesting and this one you're like oh okay sure sure yeah yeah, yeah." and i think i could be mistaken but i think we'd have to go back and listen to it but i think she said two was her favorite she did oh yeah we'll we'll have to come back to this (laughs) now that she's not here to defend herself (laughs) (laughs) uh stalker I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest. I was like so exhausted on Sunday, and I, Stalker is so good. But if you tune out for more than five minutes, you don't know what is going on. It yeah, is a, it's hard <laughs> to keep up with when you're alert and ready to go. It's, um, I mean, it's the same thing of like sharing thoughts as angst, but it's like much more existential. Right. And it's almost three hours of it. Um, it's shot incredibly well. I mean, he is a master. So. I would say of the three, Solaris was my favorite that we did this time. But we've talked about this. The Mirror is probably yeah, my favorite. Yeah, Mirror is hard. Tarkovsky, we're talking about cool. that Russian guy. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay, here's a good segue. Tarkovsky, there's the name of a theater in a movie, new movie called the Tarkovsky Theater. And this movie, John Wick. John, John Wick, Wick 3. Parabellum. Parabellum, yeah, why yeah, not? That's <laughs> the name of the theater that Angelica Houston... Uh, right is like this mistress of this martial arts and ballet theater. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It's, it's called pretty the Tarkovsky great. Theater? Yeah. It's right. pretty great. Um so anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Ryan and I both saw separately, but we both saw John Wick three this weekend. Uh I made a feast of the whole thing. Friday night I watched John Wick, Saturday night I watched John Wick two because oh, I just hadn't seen cool. him since I came out. 
And then Sunday, uh, my wife and I, Svetlana, went and saw John Wick 3 in so Georgetown. 3 starts off like an hour or immediately it's, after they John all Wick do two. yeah that's the whole thing like they all like two picks up literally right where one left off yeah. and three picks up right where two left <laughs> same off, thing with back literally to the future. in the scenes back feature two picks up right where really one ends damn they just have to immediately so that's where john wick got it from yeah um huh. but yeah i mean like okay just general thoughts ryan what did you what did you take away okay it's uh the vessel that it is is just to get you to like cool action sequences and a lot of fun for the choreographers and stunt people. It's I like, think that's yeah, it's, it's, I mean, game, I think it's aim. Somebody, I don't know, may have been Keanu Reeves, but I was reading, listening to something, but uh, somebody was like, it's Kung Fu with guns. You know, like literally Definitely. like built in gun like gun, gun fu, yeah. And uh, I tell you, man, like this one more than any of them. After like literally watching mm-hmm. them in a seventy-two hour period, back to back to back, um, wow! It's got the some, most. There is some like creative killing happening. Um, yeah, like just things you've never seen. I mean, I, probably <laughs> five times in the movie, I had to like wince and halfway turn away. Like it was just too much to take. Definitely. Like there are moments, there's a toenail situation. Yep. That's really like has nothing to do with violence, but just like it makes you want to cringe. Yeah. And, or uh, does it not have to do with violence? Or does it? Well, sort of. Yeah. See, right. that's why I kind of yeah, like yeah. that they no, no, use like these d- different, they use a lot of arts in it. Yeah. Like for instance, the ballet dancers, there's a second kind of spoiler, non-spoiler. Uh, yeah, there's probably there, going to be spoilers a, in this if you yeah. haven't seen it, just so you know. I mean, we'll warn you up, up front. You there's a few spoilers. Skip in ahead five talk. minutes and we'll talk about Westerns here in a second. But um, but the ballet dancers, you kind of wonder, like, are they about to fuck up these right, ninjas? Right, right, right. Um, but, you know, she dismisses that. But it does look at the arts and the dedication that goes into all these arts. And I think the movie really is just a big fan of uh, paying tribute to how much work goes into either choreography uh, acrobatics, anything. So All they the find a lot of ways. that movie, yeah. Yeah, th- there's choreography with like the clips, the clips of the oh, guns. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a whole game. It's almost like a, a Three Stooges type of thing. Yeah. It's really fast, like yeah, constantly. The, the these, transition work and all that's like, that all really exists in the real world. I mean, like the special operations training mm-hmm. and all that. You get training on like changing out magazines and, and pistols and transitioning from a rifle to your pistol mm-hmm. and how to do that smoothly and quickly. And like they just like emphasize that so well in this movie. Like there's a scene, I won't spoil it, but there's three guys. They're all empty and they are all literally just it's it's, you know, three seconds of who can change the mag quicker is going to be the, the one who lives, you know. And that's uh, fun. That's and he's in a museum of old guns. And oh, yeah. he's having to t- disassemble and reassemble <laughs> these old... Uh, six shooters. Yeah, six shooters to get a shot in. So they just turn everything into like a well-choreographed art. And it they're having a blast. I mean, hatchets, it. swords. There's <laughs> a, a motorcycle sword fight. There's but a... This also motorcycles like, chasing a horse. Oh yeah, yeah. There's horseback. Uh, th- like they introduce everything into this, and you think it's absurd, and it is absurd. And in the minute you, it's almost in the vein of like a Jackie Chan. Like the minute you just surrender yourself over to like, this is just gonna go where it's gonna go, and I'm just along for the ride. You have a great time. Yeah, you know, it's a fun time at the movie. Yeah. You know? um, so I approve time. of it. It's. 
if you're looking to not like it, you'll you might as well just not see it. Oh, you yeah, can find no, things you can destroy that, it just like any other kind of high octane action, you know, kind of movie. But if you like, I said, you just kind of want to go along for the ride. It's great. It's um, much better than the other high octane action movies, in my opinion. They just create a cool little fantasy world. The well, thing's so ripe for turning the, yeah, into like a what franchise. It, what it does very well is creates this truly, you know, self-contained world. Um, this this uh, universe that they exist in. Yeah, the different uh, guilds of assassins, etc. Right. The sanctuaries, the yeah. the markers, you know, like bunch all of arbitrary of the, rules. Yeah, it's great. It pays homage to so many tropes and things mm-hmm. like that of, of film past. Like it's very aware of itself. It's very smart in that way, um, and very creative and kind of bringing a new way to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a good. I'm going to wager between three and 400 deaths in this movie. <laughs> I don't even know. There's so many. <laughs> the dogs. How about the dogs? The dogs fighting. Pretty insane. That didn't seem. How did Halle Berry. Have, did she have three dogs to start? Or did they just. Because she has two. Yeah. One gets shot by Braun from uh, Game of Thrones. He's, he's, the dog's he has wearing armor. The, the vest. Yeah. But he looks injured. Okay. Well, he's back in fighting mode in a well, second. Well, I mean, it hurts. There's dogs fighting. It still hurts. Oh, we should talk about Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> John Wick 3 is so much better than Game of Thrones. We've got so much to get to. I'll today. take Halle Berry's two awesome German Shepherds over the dragons. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, you were going to mention the raid connection. Oh, they use a lot of actors from the raid. There's a couple they do actors. It in I'm such not a smart way, too. Like, it's so fun. They're, they're literally like, we're big fans. <laughs> two <laughs> of the key they're trying to kill henchmen each other, you know? are uh, from the movie The Raid, uh, or The Raid and The Raid 2, which are. As awesome. high octane as a great gets. movies, yeah. yeah. Um, and they left them hanging in case they spoiler they might make more John yeah, Wicks. No They're going to make forty John Wicks, right? Most likely, but they do a great job with these two characters oh, so of like fun. these assassins trying to kill them, and the, the the whole time they're like, you know, as they're kind of dusting themselves off in between these rounds that they're going through yeah. of fighting, they're like. Really, seriously, big fans. Yeah, it's an honor to fight you. <laughs> it's yeah. an honor to be here with you, you know, like as I'm trying to kill you. It's amazing. Uh, they do a really fun job with it. Um, so that's our John Wick roundup. Yeah, that's the John Wick roundup. Go see it. It's a lot of fun. Why not? You know, uh, if you haven't seen the first two, see the first two. It'll, it'll make a little more sense. You need to, like, understand that world a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and you need that setup. But, yeah, I mean... Why not spend four and a half, five hours watching that trilogy as much as anything else? And uh, check out Keanu Reeves. Cool actor on the rise. Also a nice guy. Nice guy. Very nice guy. And very handsome. Still handsome. Um, So handsome. Hasn't aged. Uh, Should we play Can I Move? Yeah. Can you play Can I Move for me? Could I see that? Uh Fairly nice looking piece. Can you hit anything? Sometimes. Hit that. No, no, son, son, I just want to know, uh, can you shoot your piece and shoot? Can I move? Move? What the hell you mean move? 
better when I move. Yeah. And that was the great Strother Martin and Robert Redford from Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, 1968, George Roy Hill. And kind of leads us into our bigger topic for today. We're just going to, we're showing some westerns at Suns, uh, some great classic westerns. Um, Dave's, Dave and Ryan have selected some really awesome stuff. 310 to Yuma, Bad Day at Black Rock, um, Treasure Sierra Madre, one of my all-time favorites. Um, so as part of the triple, triple threat, uh, Suns in May. We had to pick three. Yeah. It was a little tricky. Those, those are three, three really Hanoon good ones. <laughs> yeah. Or Red Sun. Yeah, Red Sun we've done though, right? I think did we did. We Red Sun? Or didn't uh, actually a lot of people have made westerns. I think ICP made at least a couple westerns, right? Oh sure, I'm not sure where Insane Clown Posse. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> going through all the greats that we didn't show. I'm just trying to. There's not a lot to talk about with westerns, so I'm bringing up yeah. the important ones. Right. <laughs> um, well, I mean, just all right, we're about to have word. a master class on westerns. Uh, this is this is a lot of fun. Um, I mean, it's America's genre, right? I mean, the Western's kind of the intersection of nature and civilization, freedom and law and order, the arrival of the train and the promise of a better life and violence and hope of peace. Basically, all the mythology, uh, you know, the Greek and, and Roman mythology rolled into American history. And here yeah. we are. Um, and it has like a very American or, you know, identity. It, yeah, it's our genre. I mean, of all the genres. Westward like, expansion. It's, it's the one, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, it has. Like, all that mythology comes with it. You just say, you know, the Old West, and it kind of opens up this, this you know, idea of America and kind of how we've come to be who we are and, and what we stand for and the morality mm-hmm. of who we are. All the good and bad that comes with that. I mean, yeah. like the mistakes and the, There's no the awfulness. Yeah. What's bad? <laughs> yeah. There was no savage uh, killing of, of Native Americans. But um, anyway... American cinema kind of started with uh, the Great Train Robbery in 1903, um, paid homage beautifully by Martin Scorsese in 1990's Goodfellas with the ending of Joe Pesci oh, looking yeah. right into the camera firing mm. three rounds. That's all from the Great Train Got Robbery. It. Okay. Uh, which was the actual... Learning. Yeah. <laughs> Edward, Edwin S. Notes. Porter, uh, you know, kind of invented the genre with the Great Train Robbery. Uh, and just like looking into this, I mean, like I'm not going to dwell on this because I, I want to get to like the bigger pieces. But the early kind of world of Hollywood and the Western was a, an immediate automatic hit. It was an automatic hit with fans. It was like the, in some respects, like the easiest thing to write. Um, I'm getting some sirens in the background, but that's cool. Sorry, that's me. Um, they'll never find you, but. <laughs> for basically, you know, from basically 1903 to the late 30s, uh, Hollywood just cranked these out at a pace of about three a week. I mean, it's just unheralded. There was, uh, you know, there's these guys who are just kind of lost to history unless you're a true, you know, cinephile. And even then, there's a lot of people that don't know the names like Tom Mix and William Boyd, Jack Holt, Lash LaRue, Andy Devine, Harry Carey, Tex Ritter, Bob Steele, Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, the Singing Cowboy Group. And these were all very much in the vein of like white hat, black hat, early, you know, silent to the early talkies of like, this is what Hollywood knows a Western to be. There's a good guy. He's going to save the girl or he's going to save the town. And there's the bad guy all in black who's going to get his comeuppance by the time this is all over. Uh And a very simple, plain, straightforward way. But an easy way to kind of set the parameters of what 
the genre was. Were these almost B movies at the time? They were hundred percent a genre, ton of B movies. Genre yeah, flicks, and that yeah. that really extended like well into the fifties. Um, but yeah, during that span, these were like by by and large, you know, hundred percent B movies. Um, then and then nineteen thirty nine comes along. There's a guy named John Ford who finds a guy who's about to make the biggest movie star maybe of all time called a guy named John Wayne. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they made a little movie called Stagecoach, which changed and got not really, it did change the genre, but it also legitimized the, uh-huh. the genre, right? So it, it went from taking kind of the black hat, white hat, you know, storyline and saying, hey, what if we put, you know, kind of an anti-hero in this mix? What if the outlaw is actually the good guy? Uh-huh. And he's the guy that's got to protect the town. In this case, a stagecoach full of, uh, you know, it's just a micro microcosm of society within the stagecoach. And you insert what is all, by all intents and purposes, the bad guy uh, played by John Wayne, who's wanted by the law and all these other, you know, things are going on in his life, uh, gets kind of thrown in and must protect this entire group of, of travelers as they make their way through the West. And, uh, Ford kind of took that, and, and this was also like the first time they shot in Monument Valley, so they're going, Ooh. you know, off and, and shooting in, in Arizona and, and Utah and Monument Valley and, and making this, you know, gorgeous backdrop. It wasn't kind of the soundstage, you know, standard, you pass the same rock four times in the sure, movie sure, kind sure. of thing. Like this was, we're going out west and really shooting this thing and being expansive. Um and Ford just kind of completely changed the model uh, by doing this. The first stagecoach was the first Western to ever be nominated for a Best Picture. Um, just to kind of like it legitimized it both yeah. from the public's perspective, but also critically, you know. Well, and the thing you mentioned about like kind of uh, inside the film, beyond it's just like what it, its emphasis on the industry was a uh, stagecoach just to, it kind of has this whole little world in itself. Right. It's moving that along. Yeah, no, it is. Like I said, like it's a total, you know, microcosm of, of society. I mean, you've got like the whore and the gambler and like all these, uh-huh. uh, I guess, uh, archetypes that are exist in the West as we know them from then on were kind of legitimized right here. Um, you've got like the on drunken doctor yeah. and, you know, yeah, they're, they're going into this lawless town and, um, you know, the bad guys are sitting there waiting. They know they're coming and. Uh, they're fighting the quote unquote Indians, um, you know, who are trying to attack them. They're dealing with the cavalry who's trying to take their supplies and, and deal, you know, I mean, like all the tropes that are there are just done in kind of a, a new way with a new perspective, uh, through John Ford's, you know, genius that, that makes it kind of a whole new, uh, next level of that genre. And that. Uh what is of, this uh, Ford Wayne super trilogy? What what are the, th- the three? Uh, yeah, this is talked about a lot um, in film schools and things like that, and just people, you know, um, talk about kind of the transition. This getting us a little ahead of this the oh. pace, but no, no, it's fine. But they started with Stagecoach, and you, it's more about the John Wayne character and who we uh-huh. idolize or idea the ideology of kind of the Western hero. So in the beginning, you have Stagecoach. And while he's this outlaw and persecuted guy, you know, uh, wanted man, he's also like charismatic and charming and nice and optimistic mm-hmm. and all of these, you know, kind of standard hero kind of qualities. 
Um, and then you get to She Wore a Yellow Ribbon, and it's him and Henry Fonda, and they're, they're kind of the character start, you start seeing some darkness in okay. the West and like the decisions these guys are making, you know, having like human impact on sure, you know, sure. life and death impact and like what that weighs on somebody of actually like killing people and what uh-huh. that means. And that's the first time that's really looked at. And that kind of John Wayne character changes a little bit. And then you get to the searchers, which is the, the that's epitome kind of the end and kind of the end of, the great, you know, John Ford, John Wayne Westerns, where you've got this, you know, really true anti-hero. He's, you know, a member of the Confederacy. It's mm-hmm. just after, um, you know, the Civil War. He's going back out west to find his family. And Played by an again. actual racist, too. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that's hard to pull You up. know, um, but, you know, very dark, a very dark character, a very true anti-hero um, that inspired, you know, Everybody, I mean, like taxi Ma- driver. Yeah, Martin Scorsese clearly, yeah. does you know entire dissertations on uh-huh. the searchers and what that meant in terms of like understanding how a character can be an antihero and what that mm-hmm. means in a movie. And well, and to really be it. one, and to really be one, <laughs> not yeah. just like oh, he's kind of a bad boy. Yeah, no, like he's truly a like not a good person, uh-huh. uh, and and humanizing that, you know. So that's kind of that trilogy and, and what that looked at. Um, there were a couple of kind of pre-World War II, but post-Stagecoach uh, in 39, there was a movie called The Oxbow Incident uh, with Henry Fonda. If you haven't seen it, William Wellman film uh, from 42 that, I'll just say this, when they showed it, um, they did a preview in, in Hollywood and Orson Welles went and sat there, it was sat in like the, the second row and got up and walked out and one of the reporters um, like cornered him as he was leaving after the viewing and uh well wells just kind of shaking his head and shaking his head and the reporter's like oh did you not like the the film he's like no no i think it's one of the greatest things that's ever been made i think everyone in there doesn't truly understand how Uh. great this film is and i'm just befuddled why i didn't make it (laughs) cool Uh, but it's an amazing film and very dark film as well uh and you and I were kind of talking, Ryan, before, like the the impact of World War II and oh, yeah. kind of a new genre coming out in that with film noir and how like all of these guys, again, I'll, I'll pimp this uh, Mark Harris book called Five Came Back uh, that focuses on uh, Frank Capra, George Stevens, John Huston, John Ford, um, and um, sorry, William Wyler, and how that their experience in world war ii and these guys like saw real combat like uh-huh. f- really for real and how that affected them when they came back um so kind of post world war ii you start seeing those changes um the biggest one being a, in a film you guys are about to show at the end of the month called the treasure of sierra madre uh which was written and directed by john houston um and is mm, easily one of the my top 10 favorite films of all time uh and the greatest performance you'll ever see by humphrey bogart uh and just i mean just a magical magical film but the impact world war ii had on those guys uh you know and kind of created this nihilistic well yeah approach. i was gonna say even just like the national uh mood and Obviously, sure. I have no fucking idea what the national mood was at the time, but uh, in, in reading a lot of like yeah. noir, uh, writing, watching the films, and then reading that VHS guide on, mm-hmm. I'm blanking on the name, but it was a, uh, a, a, guy a girl and a gun. Yeah, a girl and a gun. Yeah, yeah a girl and a gun. 
So they talk about kind of this like national attitude of nihilism. You know, we've just seen like, oh, you know, the world getting more the organized, worst uh, technology and, opening, yeah. and then it just turns into these huge atrocities, war, everyone's known war. You come back from it, seeing atomic an atomic bomb, it really changes, I think, yeah. like what you could be certain of about the world existing for a little longer starts to change after that. So I think how that plays into movies kind of like noir is you start really disintegrating who's a good guy and a bad guy and in the noir you start seeing the detectives just being real pieces of shit right. they're questioning why they're even doing this and yeah. then that the world the of Westerns. the anti-hero yeah. is like full blown too in the film noir and, right? and yeah yeah you definitely know, like that that really takes off into its own and and is alive and well in the westerns of like and and i'll say like houston created in in 1948, I mean, we hadn't really seen a modern Western. The Westerns mm-hmm. were very much Old West, 1860s, 1870s, 1880s. You what? know, Treasure Sierra Madre takes place in 1925 in Mexico. And it's a very different feel. I mean, these guys aren't, you know, in cowboy hats and things like that. It's just like these are guys who are hunting gold and dealing with, you know, kind of the laws of nature and the laws of man that are coming at them in 1925 Mexico where they are out of their element. You know, um, they're definitely fish out of water yeah. trying to survive and, and deal both internally and externally with everything that's coming at them. Uh, but nobody had really made like a modern Western truly, I mean, to that scale mm-hmm. before John Houston did it in 1948. I'll say, like, I haven't watched uh, this movie yet. Pretty excited for it. I've been listening to the radio program with Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, uh, this reading. is amazing pretty cool and i've Tell, watched all where, the do you, clips. where is it just on youtube you can find this it's like uh oh, let me f- it's not up anymore but you can just type in sierra, treasure of sierra madre radio program yeah and so it has like most of the same dialogue so far it's riveting and then i listened to a few talks on the you know trying to read into the subtext and what everything about destroying your life for greed but it just seems so much more complex than that. There's really no short version of what it's exploring about human nature. And apparently the author of it is like a German anarchist who left <laughs> Germany in the 20s, moves to Mexico. I didn't know that, but that sounds 100% accurate. Well, and, and he was into like, uh, yeah, he's basically into like Mexican politics at the time. He sees that revolutions keep on happening, that there's right. room there, moves there, gets away from Europe. Good time to do that. <laughs> yeah. But he... It seems that the author and Houston and all the actors are really interested in like finding out how we react with each other, looking at how individuals interact with society. Right. It, it confronts individualism and where that re- leads to paranoia and how it means that you can't trust many people. It means that you are on your own. Um, was it worth casting aside society? I mean, it just seems like it has so many themes. Yeah, I mean, and they were making this in 1947. So, I mean, like... Houston had been back in the country maybe six months a year, yeah, a you year. know. Um, so, I mean, all Jeez. of those kinds of experiences that he'd had over the last five years are definitely, like, hanging hard with him. And there, the backstory on Treasure Sea, i just a little bit more, but, like, he was actually starting to work on it right when he uh, enlisted in the Army. Whoa. And, like, he had to, I think it's Warner Brothers, but he had to, like, work with the studio and, like, don't let anybody make this. I'm working on it. And apparently like throughout the war, like he was taking notes and it kept morphing 
into like this darker Jeez. and darker thing <laughs> until you get you end up with the treasures of Sierra Madre in 48. See, War's great for movies. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but, you know, that kind of led us into the 50s um, and Hollywood and, and the approach to, to the Western genre with films like, you know, it kind of went back to um, the white hat, black hat with movies like High Noon and Shane. But those were also kind of subversive things that were really kind of commenting on some of the bigger issues going on, not just in Hollywood, but in America at the time. Um, you know, namely the uh, communist investigation and the MacArthur mm-hmm. hearings, things like that were comments on that. Um, films like, you know, very kind of, again, anti-hero, Western anti-hero. If you haven't seen Winchester 73. Uh, Not. Yeah, Delbert Mann films uh, with Jimmy Stewart playing like an anti-hero. It's crazy. But he's, he pulls it off and he's amazing at it. Um, I mean, there's a scene... Uh, in Winchester 73 where like uh, he has a basically an option to help someone who's dying and like just doesn't do it and somebody like it's a cool move you know provokes on him like you know why why would he it's like yeah it's not this isn't my this is this is what this is this is the west basically you know like you're out here to survive if you can't make it you can't make it I'm sorry but I I'm not going to put myself at risk you know because you can't hack it Damn. Uh, I mean like very stark dark you know characters i mean to hear jimmy stewart kind of play a character like that's crazy and bad day at black rock comes out of that uh which you know is showing at sons this this month as well um and and a modern western as well um you know it's post-world war ii spencer tracy goes into this kind of last vestige of kind of an old western kind of town and i think it's like southern arizona or something like that um but you know kind of rolls in to like look for a character um uh, and kind of falls into this lawless, last of the lawless yeah. kind of American towns uh, and has to, you know, basically fight his way through it. Um, and then maybe the one of the most entertaining examples of kind of the, the closed um, romantic realism world uh, that so many of those directors like Adard and Truffaut were inspired by um, was Howard Hawks' Rio Bravo. Oh, yeah. uh, which is, you know, kind of a great true Hollywood production, you Very know, much. but and like the true archetype character, but also good. And also, yeah. but like that, that was it. I mean, that, and that's kind of like what Godard and Truffaut were talking about with guys like Howard Hawks and, and those guys were like, you know, you can do this. It's not like, it's not that it's not cool. It's very cool when you do this perfectly. Yeah. And guys like Hawks could do that perfectly yeah. uh, with, you know, everything from like bringing up baby to, you know, Rio Bravo. Uh, there was also 310 to Yuma, which is, you know, again, you kind of, it blurs the line for the audience. Really. I mean, 310 to Yuma as much as anything like blurs that line of like, is the good guy really kind of cooler than, then yeah the, i mean it's a bad guy really kind of cooler than the good guy who's supposed to be like the guy we're rooting for but but they, i don't know they really uh that there's a cool like almost stockholm syndrome like yeah, there's like no, kind absolutely. of this back and forth on who's cool on yeah. yeah no for sure but i mean so like the 50s had these like you know great run of like classic westerns but there's a lot more to them than than you take at face value and even, you know, some of the, the more uh, subversive guys, some of the more 
quote unquote independent minded thinkers, the Nicholas Rays and the Sam Fullers also did, you know, fifties westerns with uh Fuller did Forty Guns with Barbara Stanwyck in a female uh-huh. lead, which was insane. Um and, you know, Nicholas Ray does Johnny Guitar with a female lead again. So good. Uh which was just shown at Sons as well. Um That's a good one. But, you know, I mean like Really yeah, kind of so. affecting the genre in the 1950s. And then in the 60s, uh, it went like full-blown, big Hollywood, humongous productions that you know were heavily influenced by Japanese filmmakers like Kurosawa. Definitely. Uh, with films that were direct rip-offs like Butch Cassidy and Sundance, or no, like uh, Magnificent Seven. And then toward the end of the, the spectrum, at the end of the decade, you had Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid kind of booking, bookending the 60s with Magnificent Seven and Butch Cassidy, both monster hits, both, you know, mega Hollywood movies, um, and both done extremely well. Um, well, and both really reflecting and tapping into the cultures of the time. If you look in the early 60s, Magnificent yeah. Seven, this great hero story, and then Butch Cassidy, Sundance Kid, you get this kind of counterculture. Oh, for sure. Yeah, like totally playing on, on the idea of outlaws as heroes, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like lovable heroes as outlaws, you know. Definitely. Uh, it, it, and just works unbelievably well. I could talk for hours just on Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. How about the spaghetti westerns? But that, yeah. Then you had, you know, same time frame, the, the 60s. Yeah, Sergio Leone and, and Clint Eastwood, you know, creating a you know whole different slant on the genre. Um we definitely have the, the clip up there, but I, I we shouldn't play it. Let's just <laughs> We've yeah, played let's it burn so it through. Times. We're we're only halfway through the curriculum right now. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. This is just an outline, kids. We're going to come back and dive deep into all this. Yeah. Um, but there was also like you saw the change in '60s from like this kind of standard, you know, closed romantic realism of Sam Peckinpah doing something like a great western. If you haven't seen it, uh, called Ride the High Country, which was Joel McRae and and Randolph oh. Scott who did a lot of films together, a lot of Western films together, um, but truly just like a straightforward, great Western to in, and that's like 1962. And by the end of the, the decade in the sixties and how much things changed, he makes the wild bunch, you know, in 68, which was just like, it's the end of the West. You know, it takes place in like 1903. Uh, there's a car in the movie, you know, like these guys are on horseback and they see a car and they are like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, you know, and just kind of how these guys have, have lived past and, and Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid a year later kind of does uh-huh. the same thing. Like you're past the, the times are changing. You're not catching up, you know, yeah. your time. There's a great scene in, in Butch Cassidy where they, they tie up the friendly sheriff and he's the one that tells him, you know, he's like, I hate to talk to you like this, but the times have changed. You know, your times are over. Yeah. This is all done. You know, the world's a different place now. Yeah. Th- I mean, that reminds me a lot of. Kurosawa and the samurai. He yeah. uh, likes to set his samurai movies not in like the heyday of samurais, but actually like the end of feudal Japan, where right. guns are around. Much now. more interesting. What right? does your code of honor mean? What yeah. does your training mean? Yeah. What now? does it mean to have you know to be the best swordsman if somebody can shoot you from forty feet yeah. away? You can't ever get near them. Yeah. Know? It's like you don't have a place. Yeah. All that you've worked for is is means nothing now. <laughs> so that you had that like that sixties, you know, transition from those closed romantic realism, you know, wonderful pictures of the early sixties and the big Hollywood films to, you know, something like the wild bunch and Butch Cassidy toward the end of it. And it kind of led us into the film school generation, taking up the, the mantle of those in the seventies 
with stuff uh, very you know irreverent kind of westerns like McCabe and Mrs. Miller mm-hmm. 1971 Robert Altman film with like Leonard Cohen soundtrack it's amazing perfect if you haven't seen it it's like it's freaking phenomenal uh, beautiful film um, but there was you know stuff like Jeremiah Johnson with uh, you know Sidney Pollock uh, directing Robert Redford once again and then Peck and Paul even like changing it up a little bit with stuff like Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid uh, where you get Chris Christopherson and Bob, Bob Dylan. Dylan and like all these you know just insane cast uh, together to have this great shoot 'em up uh, kind of wonderful movie to like Days of Heaven with Terrence Malick, uh, which is again like a new modern western, um, and then you know even the crazier stuff like Blazing Saddles comes out. Mel Brooks, you know, in nineteen seventy four, like all this stuff. That's probably the high point. Kind of turning, yeah, and it, it, like the seventies were just like a fun way of like reshaping the genre until you get to the nineteen eighties and the very early eighties with Gates of Heaven, um, which literally. I've not seen it literally killed the genre uh michael cimino had just come off deer hunter and could do no wrong and got basically you know everything he wanted for gates of heaven and it was just a nightmare production all the way through from you know cast from the screenplay to the cast to the sets i mean every aspect of that movie was you know hampered flawed hurt you know, bad decisions were made. Studio wasn't cooperating. Chimino wasn't cooperating. Like, it just fell apart. Uh, they took the movie away from him, recut it. It was a monster flop. You well, know. luckily no one saw it. You mean it. Heaven's Gate, right? Heaven's what, Gate. Did I, what was I saying? Because Gates of Heaven is the one about... Oh, like, no, no. Heaven's Gate. Yeah, yeah. Not not the Errol Morris film. I'm <laughs> yeah, so yeah. sorry, everyone. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry. Errol Morris also <laughs> yeah. killed it. Killed yeah. it. He killed the. Sorry, the, I just was like. No, I'm so thankful you did that. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally. Yeah, Heaven's Gate, Michael Cimino's film, um, just kind of ruined. That's it. cool that the Suicide Cult is better than the source material. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I mean, literally, like the rest of the '80s until the very late '80s, um, there's nothing made. In 1984, there were six westerns made, um, which. To put that like in into perspective, um, even in the seventies, the average like total studio Hollywood output was about twenty a year, okay. um, fifteen to twenty. And those weren't like the heydays, like mm-hmm. heydays of the forties and fifties. Totally, especially like the thirties. I mean, you're talking about you know dozens yeah. upon dozens upon dozens. Um, and so it, they're dwindling by the eighties. By the eighties, they're dead basically. Until um, two things happen: one, Young Guns came out, um, which was Emilio, yeah, which oh, is yeah. a, a mass, you know, massive hit. Not not a great movie, but a massive hit. You know, kind of the uh, um, what Brat Pack, you know, mm-hmm. um, film, and it did did wonders. And Lonesome Dove comes out as the miniseries on television. If you haven't seen it, with Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones, okay phenomenal then phenomenal the happens and then all of a sudden we're back into westerns well it kind of opens it back up right um so by the early 90s costner and eastwood do dances with wolves and unforgiven and the whole thing blows up so again like i said 1984 you had six hollywood movies that were western based in 1994 27 like it exploded i mean and you had everything like from you know good stuff like Jim Jarmusch does a western called Dead Man, which is fantastic. It's pretty good. Um, yeah. I enjoyed the heck out of it. That's one of the it, precursors to Suns. That's one of the ones we screened. And did um, we? yeah, we did Dead Man. Did we? Yeah, you're right. We did it. I think we did it outside too, which was oh. cool. Oh wow, yeah, yeah nice. it's fun. 
Um, but you had like massive hits like Tombstone that came out. Um, Maverick. Maverick was a huge hit. But it was. It was, a, it was, it was awful. It yeah, was awful. I remember liking it when I, I was mean, a kid. But I wonder. Th- he doesn't even check that Ace of Spades and just throws <laughs> right. it. That was cool. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean like everything, the quick and the dead, Wyatt Earp, like all these, you know, nineties yeah. were just loaded with Westerns and most of them horrible. Um, until you get to kind of the early two thousands and the modern Western comes back in a big way with two real kind of seminal films, Brokeback Mountain yeah. and No Country for Old Men. Uh, Brokeback Mountain, which should have won best picture. Should have won. I mean, <laughs> over a crash, obviously. And Woof. yeah, and you know, No Country for Old Men, which does win over kind of another modern western, and there will be blood. Yeah, um, which which know. both follow different western tropes, but yeah, both damn. made about forty miles apart from each other in Texas and West Texas as yeah. well. Um, but you know, definitely like makes its mark. And since then, we've had, you know, a host of stuff. I mean, Tarantino in the 2010, or in the 10s, you know, teens, uh, makes two Westerns uh, of his nine films to yeah. date, I guess. We'd be counting Once Upon a Time in the West, which yeah. you could argue has definitely bit of a, uh, better, bit of a Western trope. Um, but he made Hateful Eight and, and Django Unchained. Um, in the span of a few years. The Proposition came out around then, too. Yeah. Good Australian Western. Yeah, yeah. That was 2005. Okay, so that's uh, in the More back odds. in the... Yeah. Um, but it was amazing. Yeah, if you haven't seen The Proposition, like, really, really, really solid uh, Western, Australian Western film. Kind of like... Was it Ray Winstone and... Yeah, Ray Winstone and... Uh, and uh, Guy... Oh, my God. Name? Come on. He's... Pierce? Yeah, Guy, Guy Pierce. Pierce. Yeah. yeah. Thank Pierce you. Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan. Uh, and Pierce Brosnan is a great Western. Uh, well, so I'm, I'm not going with that. Yeah, that just, but that I do want to talk about, uh, sorry, you were saying Hateful Eight comes out the same year as The Revenant. And, right? Uh, I think, actually, Django came out the same year as The Revenant, didn't it? Did it? I don't know. Now i got to check. I, thought, you know, I think Hateful Eight is after yeah, I Revenant, think but I could be wrong. After. Uh, I will find Hateful Eight is 2015. Well, I think that, I think he's right. I think the Revenant uh, is that's the same year. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, you're right, buddy. Yeah. Um, so, well, those both came out, and I remember those kind of make uh, use of the surroundings a bit more. Kind of right. like if you're going back towards like Stagecoach in a way. You well, know, they both like, shot that big kind of cinemascope, right? Like that was the whole thing about Hateful Eight. It was millimeter. the big 70 millimeter, um, and certainly, you know, Inuritu is known for his landscapes and being able to shoot Definitely. nature and, so, and include well, all Well, here's that. my big, uh, uh, to bring these two up as kind of like opposites a little bit. So he, mm-hmm. Tarantino hardly uses that setting except just to isolate them in a room, right. which is fun. Yeah, no, but it's great. He uses like this big, you're stuck Cinema in the scope, snowy right, right, right. west, and yeah. you can't go anywhere. You're stuck in this room. Whereas the Revenant just like interacts with the environment so much. Yeah, you're, you're getting stuck, wet, but you're, you're just mauled. stuck outside. Right. Yeah, and you're moving along, and you're yeah. there's such a, an interaction with the environment, which is uh, I, I just thought remember watching those that same year. I was like, oh yeah, one uses its environment, one That's- just like uses it to force you into this other environment. Right. No, I agree. Um, so, I mean, and that just kind of leads us in. The West is kind of, I guess, my point there being like the West is alive and well. I mean, the second, you know, most famous show on HBO is Westworld. Uh-huh. Um, humongous following. Deadwood's getting Deadwood. its kind of comeback in, in the form of a, of a 
HBO movie uh, that's coming out, I think, either this month or next. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of there. It'll be interesting to see where it goes from uh-huh. here, you know, uh, after more than 100 years of making Westerns. Um, so uh, where well, do we take it? So Deadwood, I mean, yeah, they're making a movie, but that's pretty much to cap it. Uh, with Westworld, do you do you see Westerns just becoming like a little, it's a cinema trope, it's a little thing we can use for it. I mean, Westworld's almost like a cyberpunk movie or a technology or a technology show, a cyberpunk show, but it's kind of just using this Western aesthetic. Are we going to see that where a Western is just like an aesthetic we use? Kind yeah, of. Yeah, I don't think so. I think, like every genre, um, you know, it's going to go through reinventions. And sure. I think we're just waiting for the next one to kind of happen okay. at this point. Um, you know, as much as like the Hateful Eight and Revenant and Django, all these kind of, um, you know, films that have been coming out. Slow West is another really good one if you haven't haven't seen it. Um, Meek's Cutoff uh, is another one. Um, but they're pretty straightforward kind of classic Westerns at the end of the day, right? Okay. The Revenant's a little different. Um, sure. But, you know, definitely like has kind of, you know, the Anglo-Saxons fighting Native Americans. I mean, like, all those things are still happening. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's, like, really using the Western, but I would even say even the Hateful Eight is kind of just using the aesthetic to do a whodunit, you know? Yeah, like, no, w- Which sure. is a way to use it, but yeah, I'm just yeah. wondering, like, is it going to be used, and this is yet to be seen, is it going to be right. used as an aesthetic choice, or is it going to be used as, like, are we going to follow the themes and... I think we'll go back to the themes. I think okay. it'll, it'll, they'll morph and, and change, sure. but I think the genre will, will continue to... To thrive um yeah i mean i know that was like super down and dirty and i really feel bad about the whole heaven's gate uh debacle <laughs> but <laughs> thanks again dave sure. um because i was just rolling on that road i had a, i had re- actually written it down as i hope someone that didn't listen up. to rest and they hate gates of heaven now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or somebody's watching gates of heaven going i don't get it i'm done yeah. How i is this don't western? get it <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah this killed the western interesting oh yeah. <laughs> should we listen to uh dean martin and ricky nelson sing us out oh, from rio, rio bravo? bravo yeah i would love that can we uh throw that on here we go. The sun is sinking in the west. The cattle go down to the stream. The red wing settles in her nest. It's time for a cowboy to dream. Purple eyes in the canyon. That's where I long to be. With my three good companions, just my rifle, pony, and me, gonna hang my sombrero on the limb of a tree, coming home, sweetheart, darling. My rifle, pony, and me. Whippoorwill in the willow sings a sweet melody. Riding to, riding to Amarillo, Amarillo. Just my rifle, pony, and me. 
no more cow, no more cow to be roping, to be roping, no more stray, no more stray. Will I see?